0: Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author, Becca Eisenberg, brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 66. Today, I'll be interviewing Leslie Lindsay, author of the book Speaking of Apraxia. Leslie Lindsay is the award winning author of Speaking of Apraxia, originally published in 2012. Leslie's writing and photography have appeared in various literary journals. She has been recognized as one of the most influential book reviewers, interviewing hundreds of best selling and debut authors at her website. Leslie is a former child and adolescent psychiatric RN at the Mayo Clinic and at work on a memoir. She resides in suburban Chicago. Visit her on Instagram or Twitter at Lindsay one and definitely check out her Speaking of Apraxia Facebook page. So thanks so much for being here today, Leslie.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Becca. It's really a treat. Um, And thank you for that lovely introduction, too. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much.
0: I can't wait for you to talk about your new book, which looks, I mean, it's actually not looks. I mean, I've seen it. It's really, it's, it's wonderful. It's got some great information. And so I was hoping we could start off, um, cause I know that you've written a previous version. And so if you could just talk a little bit about the right. book and, um, the difference, maybe some of the updates you've done with the, uh, with this most newest version.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, this book, gosh, originally I was writing this book back in the early, you know, like 2007, 2008. I was gathering a lot of materials and things then. And now it's 2020 and a whole lot has changed in the speech world and and in apraxia and things. We continue to learn all the time. And so what we did was we kind of went through and we sort of overhauled a lot of things. Um, is is this still relevant? Is this not relevant? Um, we found a lot of new resources, a lot of new updates and things that just didn't exist in 2012 when this first book was published. So, you know, eight years, that's a long time. Um, and so a lot of new advancement and things have, have come along. Um, that said, I think there's a lot more out there like, um, you know, social media type things. You know, there are more group chats on Facebook. There's a lot of, there's Instagramming. More people are blogging. More people are, you know, doing just like Pinterest. And I think there's a lot more out there for people to kind of get their hands on to get information about speech. So I pulled a lot of those resources and we've got a lot of new different experts that are kind of chiming in on apraxia and what they're doing. People who may have just been in grad school back in 2007, 10, 12, you know? So I think that those are some of the main differences. So outdated things, gone. Updated stuff, in. Things that are timeless and classic, they stayed.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's great, too. And I think what's what's wonderful about your book is that, like, I think, you know, for parents, they may feel overwhelmed with the amount of information as far as, you know, there's so much information out there and there's so many different ways to connect with other parents. But what I think what's great about your book is that parents could like they could they could see what right resources you recommend and what other experts you know, in your book have said about it. So they're able to kind of, I I think, you know, as a parent myself, sometimes I get overwhelmed. Like there's so much materials, there's so many different opinions. There's so much information and so many different things that what I do sometimes is I just go back to the basics. Um, Like I just recently, like I'm working on this video and I went back to my original textbook Mm-hmm. of where I learned a lot of information. And I think that it kind of just brings us back to where, and that's what I like about your book, um, is the fact that it's very parent-friendly and very easy yeah. to read. Um, and so I was hoping you could just go through um, how it's organized and the different topics that you um, that you cover in the book.
1: Sure, yeah. So I wanted the book to kind of unfold as though it were like... Um like you were actually living this experience. And, and, and you are, you know, as, as a parent, a caregiver reading, speaking of apraxia, there's a reason you pick this book up, you're living it. And I kind of wanted to start with the base, the, the step one, you know, and maybe step one was noticing that your child's not speaking. Um, maybe it's even before that, maybe it's, you know, just your child is a baby and they're cooing and not, or, you know, maybe you've got some concerns about their development. Um, And so I kind of wanted some of those things to kind of be there. And then I wanted hearing maybe from someone that you needed to get your child some additional help. Maybe it's a grandparent who's a little concerned and saying, you know, gosh, have you noticed that they're not babbling like the other kids or why don't we hear a first word yet? Or um, maybe it's the pediatrician who's concerned. And so I wanted that experience to be there for the parents that, you know, you've got a friend on your side, someone who's kind of guiding you along this journey. And so there's that. And then there's um, moving into things like, um, you know, how do you find a speech pathologist? What is a speech pathologist? Um, Going to that first appointment. And so it's kind of step by step. It's a gradual thing. It's getting the diagnosis. It's how to find the right kind of therapy for you. Um, so I really wanted it to be user friendly, parent accessible, as as you're living that experience. Um, so that was important to me because you know I am a mom, and I'm and I know how busy life gets, and I know how how you worry, and and I think that that's that was sort of my goal. And I, I hope that comes across that way. Also, um, we we go into preschool. So, you know, it's then we get to the preschool years, and then we go into like reading and writing and learning to do those basics, going on into elementary school, dealing with some of the social things that the kids have to deal with, just as they navigate their childhood. And then we go even further into like, high school years, because these kids, you know, they get better. But sometimes the residual of apraxia kind of lingers. And so how can we get through high school? And what about college? And what about if it's not college, what is it? And how is that going to look for, for your family and for your individual child?
0: Yeah, and that's what I like too, is that it's across the lifespan. Because mm-hmm. one of the things about apraxia is that it's not always diagnosed at like three, four years old. It could be diagnosed in elementary school. It could even be diagnosed, you know, in middle school or even later. Um, But also I think that, you know, we also want parents that have kids of all different ages to benefit from the book. And I think what's also great too, is like starting from the beginning, talking about like, what is apraxia? Cause I think that that's for a lot of parents, like as a speech pathologist, a lot of parents don't know, a lot of people don't know what apraxia is. It's not, um, something that you hear of all the time, that you even know what it is. So, and then one of the big things by getting it diagnosed and kind of, but not even just stopping there, really going through the process of also treatment and what that's like. So I know for some parents, if like, we're just looking for a diagnosis all the time, but, um, and the diagnosis is important, but the treatment, the treatment is also very important too. So I think how parents navigate that and like what you were saying, it's like a holding hands. And I, I I could definitely see your book, you know, being like a holding hand for parents. To help them through each step. And also regardless, maybe you have a parent who's, you know, your child has apraxia. So maybe you've already gone through the diagnosis, but maybe you could benefit from other parts of the book um,
1: about treatment. Right. So, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a great point. And, you know, just another, just to jump into a little bit is it's not meant to be read cover to cover necessarily. I mean, you, you could do it that way if you wanted, but Just like you said, you know, maybe you've already gotten the diagnosis, kind of like, oh boy, now my kiddo's, you know, struggling to read and there's a chapter on that and you can skip to that chapter or, oh, maybe my kiddo's having a hard time fitting into some of the groups at school. There's a chapter on that, you know? And so I think it's kind of, it's over the span of, of, of the apraxia diagnosis, basically. So I think that's a really good point that you make.
0: Yeah. And you have that, that Facebook page that I, I think also really helps other parents to connect, um, mm-hmm. to be able to talk about their different experiences.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and they do, and they have. And I love hearing all those different stories and those experiences too. And I think it's, it's great to build that community because we're not in this alone, you know, it, it, and, and, and then that's, that's kind of the beauty of it.
0: Right. And so one of the things I want to talk about was like, just for parents who are concerned about their, their kids, let's say who are not, um, whom they may suspect may have apraxia, you know, from as a parent's perspective and like from your perspective as an expert, you know, you know, writing the book and researching and doing, and really speaking to a lot of different experts in the field, as far as red flags go, like, what is something that you would, um, Let's say share with parents that you feel like are red flags for apraxia.
1: Yeah. And, you know, since I'm not a speech pathologist, I'm certainly not going to be that expert, E. But, you know, um, I, for our experience, my daughter Kate was very late to speak. So she probably was four years old until, not until she really started speaking in sentences or even just two word phrases. Um, So she was a very quiet baby. I think that's kind of a, a red flag. Maybe a baby, she doesn't coo or babble a lot is kind of maybe a little bit of a concern. I can remember going to a, a, like a new mom's group and we all had babies about the same time. And everyone's baby was doing all these little babbling at nap time or whatever, blah, 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 blah stuff. And, and I'm like, my baby's not, you know, is that a problem? Someone else told me, oh, my little girl said elephant. And I'm like, elephant, what? You know, I cannot not even get mama, you know? And so I was worried about that. And I kind of like stuck that in the back of my head and thought, well, okay, it'll come, it'll come. And then um, the pediatrician said something to me, like, let's, let's look into getting some help for Kate. Maybe she's a little delayed and I was resistant. So there was that. And then there was, you know, Kate um, would have had like one word Hi, and it wasn't always high. It was kind of an approximation. I, I, but kind of set in a greeting context. Um, She had difficulty imitating things. I would say, um, can let's you know bounce a ball and say, can you say ball? And no, so difficulty Mm -hmm. imitating words was one. Quiet as a baby. Um, We also had the kind of the words out of the blue thing happen with us a couple of times. Um, That's where a child might. Um, have a phrase or word that they say one time, and then they never say it again. Um, We had that happen to us. Um, And I was like, wait a minute, she said that clear as day, but never again. Um, And so also, I think another huge one that I noticed was um, a receptive language thing. Like she could hear and understand everything we were saying to her. We would ask you know, go grab your shoes, Um, can you get this book for me, Um, let's go, let's have nap time, and she would know exactly what we were talking about, but she couldn't actually say those words herself. So, a receptive versus um, expressive language deficit. Um, So, please chime in and let me know if there's anything I missed.
0: Yeah, no, I think that you really covered it. I mean, I think one of the big points, too, is to see, like, that receptive expressive language gap is huge. Like, because um, if you're not able, they, you know, the kids understand, but they're not able to express themselves yeah. verbally. But um, definitely the imitation for sure. Um, like what you're saying, like saying words sort of out of the blue, they could say it once, but then they won't be able to say it again um, because it is a motor planning disorder. So, Um, Some other kids do have motor planning issues with like just parts of their body. Some kids do like they may, let's say may sports may be difficult or maybe they can't follow certain movements. Um, So that could be something that could also be not, it's, it's not speech apraxia. It could be, you know, something with your body or limb apraxia. Um, But those are different things that I've seen over time. Um, some of my kids with severe apraxia have done; they've like groped where they've really trying to say the word and they really can't. Um, so this is like a lot of the times that I'm discussing with parents about, you know, about what what a is. Um, so I think that, and like you said, like that every child is different. So yeah. one child could present with certain, like, you know, they they could they could have some of those. Um, some of those red flags, they may not have others. So I'm just, you know, I'm naming and like you're naming and based on your experience and like what you've seen, like just for me also as well, like what I've seen. um, But, you know, it's not like everybody has all the red flags. It's just, but definitely I think something to talk to your pediatrician about, you know, talking to your speech speech pathologist about. um, And yeah, so, and I know one of the things that you discuss in your book a lot
1: is the importance of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just the thing. Um, I know some folks when we were going through our experience and, you know, it's been 10 years or so um, and they were kind of like maybe grandparents or people who didn't really know much about it. And they would say, well, she will outgrow it. Right. Or this will get better. Or, you know, she's just a kid. And, you know, I guess I want to say, no, that's kind of a myth. The, these kids with apraxia, they're not going to just outgrow it. It's not going to just be one day, they just start talking. It, it does require a lot of motor planning and a lot of speech therapy. And you really have to get to, you know, a licensed speech language pathologist right away and, and pretty frequently, you know, for this to go away. And, and you need a lot of home practice too.
0: Right. And it kind of brings me to my next point, because one of the questions that um, one of the things we had talked about was, you know, how it affects kids um, during a pandemic and, you know, and virtual learning or, or doing speech and language therapy via teletherapy. And I think that's one of the great benefits is that we have parents with the kids, you know, as as a speech pathologist doing teletherapy. I think that's been one of the benefits is having parents so involved in the therapy versus like, let's say parent dropping off their child for therapy and not going in the room or um, just getting their their therapy at school. So I I think that's another, um, I find like a benefit is to have like that family involvement.
1: Agreed. I think so too. I think there's a lot of um, good parent collaboration nowadays. And, and I think that's, Fabulous! Because maybe before you're right, there might not. It might have been a little disengaged. Um, I know I've talked with some parents going through the pandemic now, and they've said, "Yeah, at first it was kind of hard because I wasn't really sure what he was doing in speech pathol in a speech therapy sessions." But then I jumped on the Zoom a couple of times, and I got it. And then we had a lot of fun together, and I understood what he was doing, and he taught me some things. And you know, so it's kind of been neat to see that and. I think regarding this pandemic, okay, it's tough. I get it. It's hard. But if we can reframe things a little bit and just look at it in a positive light and think we're not shuffling our kids all over tarnation, you know? We're not going to teach and ballet and soccer and, you know, scouts and, you know, whatever else we need to do. We have more home time. We have more time just to be kind of us as a family and have some of those more basic, wholesome, even holistic, you know, whole child, whole body kinds of things. You know, it's it's doing the stuff that we never really had time for before because our schedules were so frenetically busy and now we can get on the floor and we can play with puzzle pieces and blocks and we can, you know, talk about those things. We can categorize them. We can go on longer walks. We can pick up sticks and rocks and we can talk about colors and shapes and textures and things like that whereas before maybe we weren't doing as much as we could have been doing and so that's the gift I see as far as this pandemic goes teletherapy and you can chime in on that too because I don't know enough about it but um I think that would be tough if you can't always see each other's mouth. If we're wearing a mask that's not clear, for example, um, and I think that that, that would be tough. Um, so, I don't, what's that like for you?
0: Well, you know, it's most of the stuff that I work. Well, I do, you know, augmentative communication, um, but okay. I do, but I have, um, I have, I do have a clear mask, and I have worked with a clear mask. Um, with some of my clients. Um, but I have to say, I think that I think teletherapy works has been working really well for a lot of my clients. So I think that it's, it is true because they could see my face and we could get pretty close and there's no worries about social distancing on, on zoom. So <laughs> that's the, that's a good uh-huh. thing. So I might even get close to the camera and show them my math and like how I'm saying it. And then, but I'm also using my augmented, augmented alternative communication. But I think that for a lot of kids, like, or even having that hybrid where sometimes they're seeing in person and sometimes they're doing, teletherapy, I think it's nice for parents like to, to still be involved in that. Um, so they could also carry over, you know, those exercises at home. I think that's really important because you have like that direct link You're, you know, they're already sitting at home. So then being able to directly take some of those recommendations from the speech pathologist and be able to use it right at home. Um, I've even had situations where they're cooking in the background, and I'm like, well do this or model that or say, you know, um, (laughs) you know, so it's like, you're right actually in the moment with them, which I think is really nice. Um, so I think for me, that's, it's been a great benefit. Um, so my last question was just any sort of advice for parents of, um, of kids who are newly diagnosed with apraxia, um. I know like just from like a speech pathology perspective like I'll tell parents like we don't want to put pressure on the kids to talk like if they can't say something we don't want to make them feel bad about it. I know that's like one of those things that I always tell parents that we have to, you know, like they have to develop like each word or each sound is almost like a like learning a new dance. Mm-hmm. Um but I as a parent I think you'd be able to really give some great advice to parents um yeah. So yeah. what, what is your, what is your, what would, yeah. your advice on that?
1: It's tough. And I, you know, I do shy away from giving strong advice because, you know, everyone is different. Everyone comes to this diagnosis to this parenting thing with different experiences and kind of a different lens. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to respect and honor that because what works for me might not work for you. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That said, um, I get that there's a lot of frustration. I get that. And, you know, parents, I see you, you know, you're having a meltdown in the kitchen because you can't understand what your child wants for lunch. Or, you know, I see you in the shower at night crying and tossing and turning at night because you're not sure if you're doing the right thing for your kiddo. I think being you and being your, being the best parent you can be is really what your child needs. Um, a couple of things that worked for me when Kate would get frustrated with her words and she would be trying to tell me something, I would say, Kate, I know you're trying really hard to tell me something and I'm having a really hard time understanding it right now. I kind of put it on me. It's my, I, I don't understand. Can you show me? And sometimes, can you show me would make her feel a little more empowered. And she would, you know, if we were at a place where she could Like, it doesn't really help if you're driving in the car or something. But if you're at home, um, maybe your child will take you by your hand and lead you to what they're trying to communicate. Oh, I get it now, you might say. I'm so sorry. Or um, so I think that that validating your child is so huge. Um, Singing with them, dancing with them, being silly, um, just... we liked narrating our day. Um, I read a lot of books with the kiddos. Um, we talked about what we saw in the pictures that we were reading. Um, oh, look at this, the little girl's doing that. And what do you think might happen next? I would ask a lot of open ended questions. I knew we weren't necessarily going to get an answer, but I wanted to give her kind of the respect or the idea that I'm listening just in case. Um, as far as, you know, so you're you're newly diagnosed and you're like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Um, are you going to be tempted to go home and Google it? Yeah, you are. Um, and our speech pathologist at the time said, don't go home and Google this. You're just going to go down a minefield. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, then I wanted to go home and look it all up, you know. Um, you can do what do what you need to do, I think is is my best advice. And for me, it helped to research and understand and read these things for someone else that might be completely overwhelming. I think the important thing is to do what's right for you and filter those things out because you can be kind of bombarded with a lot of information and it's, oh, it's hard, it's hard. You don't want it all. <laughs> you, you need to take it bit by bit.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Just one of the things I do want to add is like what you're talking about with like, as like a total communication approach that for kids, like meaning when I say total communication, it means that we're accepting all different ways of communicating. So I know for a lot of kids, like using visuals are helpful. Like if they're not able to be like, if they have a communication breakdown, um, but gesturing or even using some signs to help augment that is also really important. So, yes. um, but I, I think um, that's a really good point. So is there anything else that you want to add before? Oh, one of the things I did want to say is that um, speaking of a proxy is going to be coming out in December. Right. And so I'm going to have the link in my post to pre-order the book. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But I just wanted to mention that. Um, and I also just wanted to um, ask you, Leslie, if there was anything you wanted to add before we finish
1: up today. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I can't really think of anything right off other than just keep being you, parents. Keep being supportive of your kiddos and, you know, help, help let them lead you to make you and them succeed. And, and really, if you've got doubts or concerns, you know, please talk to your speech-language pathologist. They're really there to help. They're a partner.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you so much for today. Thank you. And thank I'm really you. you know, I'm excited to share your book and um I'm just I'm just thrilled to have you on today. So, thank you so much. Thank you. I know I help a lot of parents out there for sure. Like I think just listening to our conversation, I think helps other parents because it could feel sometimes you know, especially during a pandemic because we're not able to really like communicate face to face in the same way to feel like we have some support. Um, so it's really, really nice and to feel like other people are going through it. So, well, thank you for listening today. Listen and learn with us at language during mealtime.